Hello. I wanted to start this podcast with an episode about PCOS, a condition that affects 10 to 20% of women, depending on the criteria used for diagnosis. And besides going over all of the key information you should know about the condition, we're going to talk about why nutrition and lifestyle matter when it comes to managing the condition. Let's dive in. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. First of all, what exactly is PCOS? PCOS stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. Despite its name, it's not just a reproductive disorder or a disorder that affects only the ovaries. It's actually a complex hormonal and metabolic condition that affects nearly every system in the body. The condition was first discovered in 1935 by doctors Irving Stein and Michael Leventhal, and it was called Stein-Leventhal syndrome. However, way back in 1721, an Italian doctor named Vallis Mary described a married infertile woman with shiny ovaries with a white surface and the size of ovaries as pigeon eggs. So it's very likely that the condition has always existed, even though we are still learning about what exactly it entails. We don't yet fully understand what causes PCOS. There's been very little research funding dedicated to the condition, but there are several hypotheses floating around and some research around various factors, including genetic mutations, environmental triggers, gut microbiome disturbances, circadian rhythm disturbances, and even insulin resistance itself, which is present in most people with PCOS, and how it may actually play a role in triggering the development of the disorder. Another intriguing possibility is exposure to higher hormone levels in the womb, meaning that if your mom had higher AMH or androgens, that puts you at higher risk for developing the disorder. And there does seem to be a familial component as well with incidence of type 2 diabetes and other metabolic disorders higher in family members of people with PCOS, particularly in brothers. PCOS is a syndrome, not a disease. So what that means is it's a 
a collection of seemingly unconnected symptoms. Some of the symptoms that are common with PCOS are irregular or missed periods and or irregular or missed ovulation, weight gain or difficulty losing weight, especially around the abdomen area, strong cravings for carbohydrates and sugar, unwanted excess facial and body hair, oily skin and acne, male pattern hair loss, infertility, mood disorders such as anxiety and depression, elevated blood glucose and or insulin levels, fatigue, darkening of the skin, which is called acanthosis nigricans and happens around your neck or your armpits, basically anywhere your skin kind of folds. Skin tags can also be common around your neck or armpits. Disordered eating is higher in this population, especially binge eating disorder and sleep disorders, including sleep apnea, regardless of weight. So really there's a lot to consider when it comes to PCOS. I do also want to note that there are some symptoms that are not related to PCOS, but that often get linked to it. For example, painful, heavy periods, bleeding between cycles, so bleeding between periods, and painful or functional ovarian cysts are not caused by PCOS. So if you have any of these, be sure to keep pushing for a proper diagnosis because PCOS is not what's causing those symptoms. It's important to note that every case of PCOS is different. Every person with a condition has a different set of symptoms and a different set of root causes causing those symptoms, not to mention different needs, goals, lifestyles, preferences, cultures, budgets, access to foods, et cetera. So PCOS doesn't have, you know, one look or a type. And because of that, there's no one right way to treat it that works for everybody. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news here, but there's no cure for PCOS. If you want nice, warm, fluffy promises of curing a lifelong condition, well, then you are in the wrong place. I'm going to give it to you straight. PCOS cannot be cured or reversed. However, you can manage symptoms and manage your PCOS to the point where it becomes clinically undetectable. So let's say you had irregular periods and high androgens, but you've been working on your nutrition and lifestyle and you go into the doctor's office and now you're having 30 day cycles and your androgens are normal. If you had gone in at that point, you wouldn't have received a PCOS diagnosis because you know, you don't meet the criteria. And that's the goal. It's really to get you to a place where managing your PCOS symptoms is no longer taking over your whole life. So to back up a little bit, let's talk about how PCOS actually gets diagnosed. So to be diagnosed with PCOS, the most common criteria are the Rotterdam criteria. It's the current gold standard for diagnosis. And according to the Rotterdam criteria, a woman must meet two of the following three criteria. Number one, irregular or absent ovulation or menstruation. So that's irregular or absent ovulation or periods. Number two, 
elevated levels of androgen hormones. So this can be diagnosed either by blood tests that show that you have high testosterone or high DHEAS, or it can be based on symptoms like oily skin, acne, facial hair, or hair loss. And the third criteria is presence of ovarian cysts, which actually are not cysts at all, but are immature egg follicles that get built up when they're not ovulated regularly, which creates the characteristic string of pearls pattern that you can see on an ultrasound. So if you're paying close attention, it is possible to have PCOS without having cysts on your ovaries at all. In fact, the National Institutes of Health has recommended that the name of the the syndrome be changed to better reflect the complex metabolic hypothalamic pituitary ovarian and adrenal interactions that characterize the syndrome. Other experts, including the Androgen Excess Society and PCOS Society, have proposed that PCOS should be defined by the presence of high androgens and that high androgens are necessary for a diagnosis of PCOS. However, other experts disagree with that assessment and think that there is a type of PCOS that has normal or low androgen levels. Hey there. So before we get back to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop I've put together called PCOS Meal Prep Made Easy. If you're like most folks I hear from, you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with PCOS. And you may feel like you don't even know where to start. In this hour-long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home, but what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal, or even while traveling. Head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool. I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode. So if you think that you might have PCOS, your primary physician, gynecologist, or reproductive endocrinologist will be able to perform the proper testing to get you a diagnosis. Part of testing for PCOS should include ruling out other conditions that can mimic the symptoms of PCOS. Some of these can include, but are not limited to hypothalamic amenorrhea, congenital adrenal hyperplasia, hypothyroid, high prolactin levels, benign cysts or tumors on the pituitary gland, adrenals or ovaries, and other more rare conditions. Your doctor may order blood tests that include fasting glucose, fasting insulin, hemoglobin A1C, and several hormones, including LH, which is luteinizing hormone, FSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone, 
AMH, which is anti-Mullerian hormone, DHEAS, which is an androgen made by your adrenal glands, testosterone, and sex hormone binding globulin. They should also do a full thyroid test panel and other tests necessary to rule out those other conditions that I mentioned. They might order a pelvic ultrasound to check for the presence of those follicles on your ovaries. It's very important that you receive a proper diagnosis of the condition so that you can start managing it right away. On the other hand, if you are inaccurately diagnosed with PCOS, it might prevent you from getting the care you need for your actual diagnosis. If you do have PCOS, if you've been diagnosed with PCOS, please know that it is not the end of the world, Uh, although it is important that you learn how to manage it so you can lower those long-term risks for diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, heart disease, and stroke, as well as endometrial cancer that PCOS puts you at a higher risk for. In fact, 50% of women with PCOS will be diagnosed with prediabetes or diabetes by the age of 40. It's also important to have a proper diagnosis before undergoing fertility treatments. They're so expensive and you invest so much time into it. And your diagnosis really determines the proper medications and protocols that get followed. So, you know, if if they're treating you for PCOS, but it's actually something else, you don't want to invest all that time and money into something that's not going to work. So once you've got that diagnosis of PCOS, now what? Conventional treatments typically include hormonal birth control pills, which stimulate a monthly withdrawal bleed. However, you should know that the bleed that you get on a pill is not by definition a period because the pill blocks ovulation and periods only happen after ovulation. The pill also doesn't really regulate your cycle, you know, despite what they may tell you, it actually shuts your whole cycle down. But the regular bleed that's caused by the pill does help lower the risk for endometrial cancer because it prevents your uterine lining from getting too thick. If your insulin is too high, your doctor may also recommend a medication called metformin, which is used in diabetes. Just be aware that metformin can cause some digestive issues, as well as a deficiency in vitamin B12 if you use it long-term. Many docs will also tell you to just lose weight. There is some, you know, not to be the bearer of bad news, but there there is some evidence that losing 5% of your body weight can improve some of the symptoms and markers of PCOS. But, you know, when I'm looking at research like that, I always wonder if it was the weight loss itself or the habits that resulted in the weight loss that made the difference. I tend to think it's the habit changes, the diet and lifestyle changes that made the difference in the markers. Also, it's important to note that 5% is not as much as you might think or hope it is. For example, for a woman who weighs 200 pounds, a 5% reduction in weight would be 10 pounds, meaning that 190 pounds is a good goal weight. But there's got to be more that you can do than all of that, right? And of course, right. Now is the fun part. Now is where I come in. 
So remember how I said there's no one size fits all treatment for PCOS because there's no one type of PCOS and every case is different? Well, fortunately, there are some basic principles we can use when it comes to treating the underlying root causes. I look at PCOS from the perspective of underlying root causes that are driving the symptoms of the condition. Root causes can include insulin resistance, inflammation, gut imbalances, hormone imbalances, including high androgens, yes, but also estrogen issues, adrenal hormone issues, and thyroid hormone abnormalities. So when we're looking at how to manage symptoms of PCOS, we're looking at using a four-pronged integrative approach that addresses nutrition, lifestyle, and lifestyle is made up of exercise, sleep, stress, and environmental toxin exposures, supplements, and testing. So when we combine those root causes with the four treatment approaches, what that looks like is basic nutrition principles include a blood sugar balancing, anti-inflammatory, gut supporting, and hormone supporting diet. Basic lifestyle support includes getting enough sleep, doing the right type and amount of exercise for your body and your lifestyle and your hormone levels, really actively managing stress and minimizing toxin exposure. Supplements can be used to support insulin resistance, inflammation, gut imbalances, and hormone imbalances, as well as nutrient deficiencies in a targeted and ideally short-term manner. And finally, testing can help you determine which of these things you need to focus the most on and monitor how the changes you're making are actually impacting you. So you might be freaking out hearing all of this. I know it's a lot, but don't worry. We break it down step-by-step for you. And remember, not all of these strategies are going to end up applying to every person who has PCOS. These are really just some of the tools in the toolbox that we can use when we're developing a customized treatment plan for you. And the best part about it is that we can get you there without cutting out a single food. Because did you know that there's literally zero research that cutting out any food is necessary or beneficial for PCOS? If you don't believe me, go ahead and pull up PubMed on your computer and search for PCOS less gluten and see what you find. I'll wait. Okay, just kidding. What you want to do is come back here anyway for a balanced, BS-free, science-backed approach, or you could just take my word for it. I look forward to sharing much, much more about all of these strategies with you in coming episodes. I want you to know that treating PCOS naturally is not only possible, I see it every day in the women I work with. My clients do not call me the period fairy for nothing. Thank you and stay tuned for the next episode. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. 
Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced. Stay balanced.